Welcome back to the Courtside Console Podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed the first episode. Got something really cool planned, so looking forward to talking to you guys about what I've got in mind. Just want to apologize for taking so long to come out with this episode. It really is just because because life, to be honest. But we're back and we're ready to get started. In this episode, we're going to be sticking with the theme of going through some bad teams in the NBA. I'm going to be talking through a case study. And in that case study, I'm going to be revealing the team that we're going to be talking about. And it's just going to be like a mini refresher course or learning experience for some people who don't have experience of what I'm going to bring up. And to be honest, I'm actually going to probably get examined on this at some point soon. So I'm really out here just trying to revise. And who knows, the things you hear on this podcast might actually help you save a life at some point. Now, actually, anything you hear on this podcast, don't actually do it if you're not trained. Don't come back and say that you learned everything you did on the Courtside Consult podcast. I'm really not trying to get sued out here, so just take it with a pinch of salt, all right? All right, last thing before we get started, who do you think is the worst team in the NBA? Just hang on to that thought, and we'll come back to that later. So picture this, you're just chilling at maybe Costa, Starbucks, maybe just on the high street out somewhere. And then all of a sudden, boom, you hear like a loud thud on the ground. And then there are people screaming. You can tell something's going on. So you look around and you see like a massive group of people. So you quickly go over there and then you see a man that's passed out on the ground. And the people you're with, they know you're medics. So we've all been there. They're all kind of looking at you like, all right, man, you're trained for this. Do something. Go on. You know them ones like literally a day after you get into med school, the first family member you see, they're telling you, Uh, So I've had this back pain or like I've got a cold that's not going to go. It's kind of like that. So you see this and first thing that pops into your head is Dr. ABC. And for those of you that don't know that Dr. ABC is an acronym for your basic life support. I just want to apologize because you're going to be hearing about a lot of annoying acronyms. And you actually have to because you need to feel our pain and the things that we actually need to remember. So just prepare for that. All right. So what Dr. ABC stands for is danger, response, airway, breathing, and circulation. And those are kind of like the five main things that you want to do when you're trying to like give somebody that needs help some basic life support. All right, so you go over to the man that's passed out. And first thing you want to do in Dr. ABC is that you want to assess the scene for any danger. So in this case, you want to make sure that nobody's throwing up bricks. You want to make sure that nobody's getting their ankles broken just sticking with the theme of the podcast. So you want to assess the scene for danger. And when you've made sure that sort of like it's a safe area, you want to ask people to give you some space so that you can get started on what you got to do. So before you move on to the next step, what you want to do in this scenario is that you want to call 999 and you want to just explain to them the situation. You want to explain that it's an emergency so that they can come as quickly as possible and give you some support. And in a scenario where maybe you're in a hospital and this happens, then in that case, you want to call 2222, contacting the cardiac crash team so that they can come and give you support. And you want to make sure you give them a really vivid description of exactly where you are so they could come and find you as quickly as possible. All right, so we've ticked off letter D in Dr. ABC. So next thing we want to move on to is R, which is response. You want to check that the person is responsive. So what we're going to do is that we're going to grab the person's shoulders and we're going to do what you call a trap squeeze. And while doing this, we're going to 
gently shake their shoulders and ask them out loud. And in this case, we're lucky because we know their name. So we're just going to ask them, Mr. Phoenix Sun, are you okay? Mr. Phoenix Sun, can you hear me? Mr. Phoenix Sun, are you okay? Just to determine whether or not the patient is responsive. All right, so in this case, the person is not responsive. So you want to move on to letter A, which is the airway. So in airways, what you're trying to do is that you're trying to open up the airways. And you do this by doing a head tilt and a chin lift. So you place your hand on the person's forehead and you place your fingertips under their chin and you lean the head back and this allows the airways to open up. With the airways open, now you're moving on to letter B, which is checking for the person's breathing. With their airways open, you want to get your cheek right over their mouth. The skin on the cheek is really sensitive, so you get a very good idea of how well they're breathing. And with your cheek over their mouth, you also want to keep looking at their chest to just see if there's any chest expansion. And you only want to assess whether or not they're breathing normally for about 10 seconds. And in, the, in this case, with the guy that we're looking at, Mr. Phoenix Sun, we can see that he's not breathing properly. We feel like he's choking on something. What's he choking on? Maybe draft picks, the pressure of picking the right draft for his franchise. Let's say he's just choking on that for the sake of this. So what we want to do is that we got to start some chest compressions. So you want to take the heel of one hand and place it right down on the end of the person's sternum. Then you want to take the heel of your other hand and put it on top of your first hand. Now your fingers are interlocked and you want to get them right over the end of the person's sternum. So the most distal end of the sternum. So we're going to be doing 30 chest compressions on Mr. Phoenix Sun. We're trying to push down around 5 to 6 centimeters deep. Alright, so you're doing your 30 compressions. You're giving it everything you've got. And after you get to 30, there's a song that people use when they're trying to get the right rhythm for the 30, but I can't remember it at the moment. And I think it's like the birthday song or something. I actually need to find that out. And when some people are doing their compressions, they prefer to literally get on top and like straddle the patient. I'm not really about that, but if you feel that helps you get like a better position, then by all means do you and like just do what you got to do i guess so after the authentic compressions you want to then give him two rescue breaths you want to exhale for a minute while you're doing your mouth to mouth and then you want to make sure that the person's chest is sort of rising and falling uh if you've got a bag valve mask i'd say use that but if you haven't then you got to go from mouth to mouth so after that you quickly move on to letter c which is checking for their circulation so you want to palpate their carotid pulse which is in the neck and you want to see if you can feel a pulse and after that you just get right back to your chest compressions you're trying to hit around 100 to 120 compressions a minute and you pretty much want to keep going until maybe the person wakes up the crash team arrives until you get tired because to be honest if you're tired then you're, you're not going to be doing effective bls anyway so those are kind of like the three scenarios that would make you stop and that's a good thing to remember so we're doing everything we've done. We're performing Dr. ABC on Mr. Phoenix Sun. And unfortunately, he doesn't wake up, but the crash team arrives. This is a medical emergency, so they take him off and do their own thing. So that entire intro was just to give you guys an idea of how I see the Phoenix Suns. They are actually like a person who has passed out, and we don't quite know if they're going to make it or not. They're like in a dire situation right now, and they're going through quite a lot of stuff. So let's get more into like the actual basketball facts of what's going on with the situation. The Phoenix Suns have been terrible for years now. You could probably make the argument that they've been the worst team in the NBA over several years. And I just want to give you some of the numbers to back that claim. So a lot of you will know that there are 30 teams in the NBA. Each team in total is going to play 82 games. Let's look at this season. 
this season, the Phoenix Suns up to this point have won 23% of their games. If we go back to last season, the 2017-2018 season, of the 30 teams in the NBA, they finished last in offensive rating, last in defensive rating, last in margin of loss. So that pretty much means that in terms of the margin of their losses, how many points they were losing by, they were by far the worst. So it's not like they were getting unlucky and losing by like one or two points, but they were getting blown out, like losing by double digits almost every night. And last season, they won 21 out of a possible 82 games. So they won 26% of their games. The year before that, of the 30 teams, they finished 29th in offensive rating, 22nd in defensive rating. And what was interesting about that year was, even though they were terrible in both offensive and defensive categories, they still finished second in pace. That means that of all the teams, they were playing the second fastest. They were really in a hurry to get to nowhere that year. It's kind of like if you go for an exam, somebody that's done no work, 30 minutes into the exam, they're putting their hand up saying they're ready to go home, that they finished. So I don't even know what was going on that year. And of the possible 82 games, they won 24. That's 29% of their games. Before that, in the 2015-2016 season, of the 30 possible teams, they finished 27th in offensive rating, 28th in defensive rating, 25th in percentage of turnovers, and of the possible 82 games, they won 23 out of those, winning 28% of their games. So it's kind of wild how long this has been going on for. They've been terrible for a long time. And what's quite interesting is a lot of you will know, like, they kind of had, like, a golden age where they had Steve Nash, Amari Stoudemire, Leandro Barbosa, players like that. In the 2009-2010 season, they actually made it to the Western Conference Final. But since that year, they literally fell off a cliff and have not been to the playoffs since. And not only have they not made the playoffs, but they've just been like the bottom of the barrel for years. So let's talk about what's perennially keeping the Phoenix Suns as one of the worst teams in the league. The last time they were a really good team when they made the Western Conference Finals, like I said. At that point, Steve Nash was 35 years old, so he was kind of like on the tail end of his career. And Amari Stoudemire, who was amazing, he was becoming increasingly frustrated about the team not putting good enough pieces around him and an aging Steve Nash. So he eventually got frustrated about the situation and it caused the Phoenix Suns to trade him to the Knicks just because in the NBA you never want to have somebody that doesn't want to be on your team. So they traded him to the Knicks and they didn't really get too much in return. But since then, the Phoenix Suns have kind of gotten worse every single year and they are where they are today. So... Just thinking about this kind of topic, the first thing that came to my mind of why they're bad is they've embraced tanking. And so tanking is just intentionally being terrible, intentionally losing games in the hopes that you get to draft really high in the lottery and you can get like a player that changes your franchise, like a generational transcendent player. And it's always tough to kind of assess teams that are losing on purpose because at the end of the day, you can't criticize them on how they're playing because they're playing that badly intentionally and the draft is always pretty tough to like find those kind of generational talents because not every player is going to be amazing a lot of the time so many players turn out to be busts and the phoenix suns they've kind of just been unlucky because a lot of the times when they've had like the very top draft picks they've actually had to pick in really weak drafts so it's kind of been a combination of weak drafts and also really bad choices. But I guess in retrospect, if a player ter doesn't turn out well, you can always say like, oh, they should have gone with this player. But in the moment, some of those players that did become good, 
they were kind of long shots, so you can't really blame the team for not picking them. But I'd say the first thing I'm going to talk about is just weak drafts and bad choices. So if we look at the last draft where they picked number one, when we think about the best rookies in the draft at the moment, we are thinking about players like Luka Doncic and Trey Young. But to me, DeAndre Ayton was still a really good pick. If we did a redraft, he would maybe go third overall, maybe fourth. But to me, he's quietly giving you a double-double. He's playing really well. He's averaging... 16 and a half points and 10 rebounds as a rookie on over 55% shooting from the field. So to me as a rookie, that's amazing and he is playing really well. So I'm not going to get on them for this draft. I think they did pick really well. But if we go to the 2017 draft, they had the number four pick in the draft. And it's quite interesting because in the offseason leading up to the 2017 draft, the Phoenix Suns actually had a really good backcourt. They had Eric Bledsoe, who was their point guard, and Devin Booker, who was their two guard. So going into the draft, they must have been thinking, our backcourt is secure. We don't need to even look at the guards. Let's start building up our front court, and we'll draft the front court player. And this was actually a really good draft, but the issue is that it was so guard heavy. There were so many good guards in this draft, like Darren Fox, Dan Smith Jr., Donovan Mitchell, Malik Monk. So considering that they already had an established backcourt, the smart thing to do, like I said, was to build their front court. And there weren't so many great front court players. They went with Josh Jackson, who to me was a bad choice. And again, in hindsight, they could have taken somebody like Laurie Markinen maybe, and that would have been a much better choice at the time. But they went with Josh Jackson. They were like, okay, cool, we've got our backcourt now. We've drafted maybe a promising young forward player and going into the season literally three days into the season Eric Bledsoe comes out and says he's not happy and he doesn't want to be on the team like because of him this team literally didn't look at any of the amazing guards that were in this draft and then they went on and drafted a forward and then this guy comes out and says he doesn't want to be there and now they don't have a starting point guard and that's something that's plagued them since that draft because they missed out on so many good guards in that draft nah if i was the gm i'd be hot like i'd be fuming so now it's three days into the season your starting point guard said he says he doesn't want to be there and you've got to trade him i think if a player says he doesn't want to leave literally three days into a new season he must have been giving you signs that he wanted to leave there's no way like out of nowhere he just comes in three days before three days into the start of the season and says he wants to leave he must have been giving you signs for months letting you know he's not happy but the front office chose to not acknowledge it. So I'm going to put this one on the front office. They should have been paying attention and should have known from the beginning that Eric Bledsoe just didn't want to be part of the team anymore. And if they knew from the beginning that they were going to move him, they should have then drafted point guard from the 2017 draft. So personally, I just think that in that year, the Phoenix Suns wasted the number four pick. And they took a player who could be a nice role player, but to me, when you're drafted as high as number four, it's got to be a player that's going to change pretty much the destiny of your franchise and I guess people are never going to really focus on Josh Jackson because the three players drafted ahead of him came with so much more media hype you look at Lonzo Ball, Markel Fultz and Jason Tatum who were rightfully drafted ahead of him but the microscope is always going to be on them and nobody's ever going to really focus on a Josh Jackson so that's the first well the most recent draft where the Phoenix Suns just made the wrong decision and you could say whether or not you think it's their fault because maybe they genuinely didn't know Eric Bledsoe didn't want to be there. 
and the fact that they thought they had a complete backcourt and made them not draft a guard, but they really have been paying for that lack of a point guard since that draft. So like I said, the Phoenix Suns have been terrible for a long time, so they've had pretty high draft picks for quite a while. If we look at the 2016 draft, this was kind of a year where the Phoenix Suns, it was kind of like a mixture of being unlucky as well, in that the draft was pretty weak for what they needed. But this draft, it was kind of like a really top-heavy draft. So the Phoenix Suns had the number four overall pick. And if you look at the players that were taken before number four, Ben Simmons went, Ingram went, Jalen Brown went. And like I said, at this time, they had Devin Booker and Eric Bledsoe. So their backcourt was, was set. So they were looking to build on their frontcourt. So they were looking for more forwards. And three of the best forwards went right before their pick. And what it means is that the teams ahead of them were also looking to build the front court. So I guess they were a bit unlucky in that respect. They had the f number four pick, but literally after those top three players, all the other good players at that draft were guards. So again, it was a draft littered with players that they actually just did not need. They picked number four, but I'll say who they picked. But after their pick, the next picks were Chris Dunn, Buddy Heald, and Jamal Murray. And after that, there aren't really any great players left in this draft. So, again, it was just that the draft position they had was pretty unlucky. And in 2016, the Phoenix Suns drafted Dragon Bender, who has absolutely been a bust for them. He, was a, he is a power forward, and he's just not lived up to the hype of being a number four overall pick. So I'm going to put this on the management that they drafted Dragon Bender, who has been an actual bust for them. But when you look at the draft, it's kind of like, who else could they have drafted? Maybe Sabonis, who's having a career year for the Pacers, but nobody would have thought that Sabonis was going to be an amazing player. But drafting Bender has absolutely been a terrible de decision by the Suns. I'm going to put that on the management as well. And if we look at 2015, this is the year that the Phoenix Suns finally had some good luck. This is the year that they drafted Devin Booker. They didn't have great draft position. They had the 13th pick. And they were pretty lucky to land Devin Booker in what was actually a pretty good draft. There was a lot of talent there. But they got Devin Booker, who's going to be their franchise player if he does decide to stay. He just had back-to-back 50-point -back game. So he's playing amazing, and they are pretty lucky to have him. And then in the 2014 draft, they didn't have like a really high pick. So I'm not going to go into that draft. But in the 2013 draft, they had the opportunity to draft really high again. And they just did not pick the right player at all. In 2013, they had the fifth overall pick. And one thing I've noticed is that the Phoenix Suns, they've, they kind of have this tendency to gamble with international players. And it's always more difficult to watch film on international players rather than like the local American players that the scouts can just get to their game so easily. And in this year, they just made a terrible mistake. They drafted a player called Alex Len. I don't know if any of you have heard of him. He was a center from Ukraine. And in that draft, there were so many good players that they could have taken. And at that point, they literally had nothing. This was 2013, so there was no specific position they needed. They should have just taken the best player they could have. And it's what I said, how, like, when you look at this retrospectively, it always makes it worse because they took this guy so high. And the players that came after him was Giannis. Imagine if they drafted Giannis, how different they're history could have been but instead they took Alex Lem with the number five overall pick other players that came after Alex Len was Rudy Gobert who was a really good player Steven Adams really good player CJ McCollum really good player 
So that was just a terrible pick by the franchise. And that's two busts that they've drafted within two years of each other in 2013 and 20... Sorry, my bad. Within three years of each other between 2013 and 2016. And the thing about the draft is that you can never be certain going into the draft. That's why it's so risky for these teams that embrace tanking. I know Philadelphia did it and have completely changed their fortunes. But at the end of the day, they were lucky to draft two generational type players in Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. And even with Joel Embiid, there was so much that could have gone wrong with all those injuries. But uh, lucky for them, he did become healthy and he is just playing out of his mind at the moment. But every team isn't going to have like the fairy tale ending that the Sixers had. And the Phoenix Suns, although I do think that they are on track because I do think they have like two really good young players in Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton, they still need one more generational type player. And who knows, maybe in this upcoming draft, they're going to find that player. And again, it's pretty unlucky because... I think in this in this league, it's tough to be a good team without a dominant point guard who can score and assist the ball. And a lot of you have probably heard about Zion Williamson, who is no doubt the best player, the most box office player, the one that people are going to want to see. But I just don't think he's the right player for the Suns if they get the number one overall pick. And not getting the number one pick and being forced to take Zion might actually be what they need. So I hope they don't actually get the number one pick. I hope they get the two or three. And the player I think they should get is uh, John Morant, who's like a combo guard. You might have seen some of his clips from the NCAA tournament. And he can score the ball. He was averaging over 25 points a game. And he was also giving you 10 assists. And I think those are the kind of point guards that you need in today's NBA. And if you get a point guard who can score and assist the ball, it frees up Devin Booker to do his own thing. He can focus on scoring. And then you have a guy who can get DeAndre Ayton involved. And that right there is your big three for hopefully like a decade to come. So hopefully they don't get the number one overall pick so they don't feel that pressure to take Zion. And they actually do draft a point guard who can kind of get things going. All right, so that was kind of looking at how the Phoenix Suns have had a mixture of really bad drafts where the front office have just chosen the wrong people. And where they've also been pretty unlucky, having high picks in some weak draft and trying to pick certain positions rather than the best player and that kind of backfiring on them. So if we just take a look at what's wrong with the team today, the Phoenix Suns are terrible. They're not playing well. They are. They have the second worst record in the league. And if you look at the, the whole team, pretty much you can just throw the whole team away other than three players. Like I said, Devin Booker, who's playing well, coming off back-to-back 50-point games. And that's actually the worst part. And I actually feel sorry for this guy. Like, he's giving you 50, and they're still getting blown up by, like, 30 points. If I was him, I'd be I'd be fuming. Like, you guys see everything I'm doing, and you can't even contribute, like, a simple 15 points even. It's just crazy. If I was him, I'd be like, all of you are off the team. You're expelled. Just, just don't even come back. Just go home. It's crazy, like everything he's doing and they're still losing by these ridiculous margins so phoenix are gonna have to do everything they can to try and keep this guy and they have to i will say i think they're going in the right direction but if this guy leaves it's all over so they gotta offer him as much money as they possibly can just to try and keep this guy happy he's giving you over 25 points a game 6.8 6.8 assists per game shooting 50 percent from the field and he's just like their 
he's going to be their franchise player for years. But when you look at it, um, if you look at PER, which is a stat that kind of, it's kind of like the God stat, and it lets you know how well a basketball player is doing everything, offense, defense. His PER is 19, and I know that may not mean much on the face of it, but if I just tell you that the average PER in the league and that's factoring all the players in the league is 15. So average is 15. He is 19. So what that tells you is that his PR is slightly above average. And he's not having that much of an impact on the game. He's definitely not performing at an all-star caliber level. Even DeAndre Ayton, who's a rookie, has a better PR than he does. So for some reason, Devin Booker, his numbers just aren't translating into like a good efficiency rating. So that's something that needs to be improved sort of like as he develops and grows. But he's only 22, so I'm really not worried about him. At the end of the day, he's a professional scorer and he's just going to keep scoring the ball and he's going to help his team. So like I said, there are three players that you're not going to throw away. There's DeAndre Ayton, who as I said earlier in the video is giving you a double-double as a rookie. So you can't ask much more than that. He's playing really well. I see him doing a lot of good things and he's only going to get better. He needs to work on his defense a little bit, but I see he is making like a lot of improvements. He's sliding his feet better. He's getting better in the pick and roll. So that's really good. And another player that I think the Suns could keep is TJ Warren. Small forward, but he does bring the ball up for them quite a lot. And he is giving you 18 points per game. He's only in his fourth year, so he's still really young. Still a lot of time to improve. So I say those three players are the ones you want to keep. But other than that, you can just throw everybody else away pretty much. Uh, at the moment, who starts at point guard for them is Tyler Johnson. And he was traded from Miami, and he's not a true point guard. He's more of a shooting guard, and he's just not who you want bringing up the ball up in every play. And another issue with this team is like they have no vets other than Jamal Crawford, who is uh, who's been in the league for over a decade. All the other players are kind of like in their fifth year and below. And a team that has no vets, they're always going to struggle with closing games, just like maintaining consistency and things they do. And this whole thing about not having accomplished vets on your team can actually cause problems. Because if we look at the Timberwolves, this is a team that the young guys got given a lot at a really young age. And they had no accomplished vets who were able to sort of tell them this is how you do things. This is how you be consistent. This is the sort of energy you need to bring every day in practice. And because of that, they got really complacent. And that's why when Jimmy Butler got there, he was ready to tear down the whole building because he was like, these young guys who haven't accomplished anything are acting like they run the whole team and they're just not performing to the level that you would expect such talented players. And that's one thing I don't want to happen to the young players of Phoenix. You don't want them to become complacent because they are young stars. You want to get them an accomplished vet who they can look up to and who can tell them this is how you do things, this is how you progress in the league and teach them how to hold themselves to a certain standard so that they don't end up like the boys in Minnesota. I'd say like that's one thing that they will need to do once they start. Once they find that big three through the draft, they will need to bring in some vets just to help guide the younger players. Yeah, so at the moment, the squad just isn't great. Like They haven't got a lot of vets, which I think are important for your team to actually move forward when you've got a lot of young players. And actually, I did say there are three good players. You could maybe keep Kelly Oubre Jr., who's a nice player. He's good coming off the bench. So I guess you could keep him. So maybe those four. But other than that, everybody else got to go. Tyler Johnson, he's okay, but I'd much more prefer him coming off the bench. 
and definitely not with the contract he has. I think he's making the most money on the team, so they are massively overpaying him. I guess this ties more into the front office, but this team is currently last in three-point percentage, and a lot of you that watch the NBA now know that there's so much emphasis placed on the three-point shot, and if you have a team that can't shoot the ball very well, then you're just not going to be a very good team. If you look at the best teams, Golden State, amazing three-point shooting. The Rockets, they go for volume. They're not very efficient, but they take so many threes. Even the Bucks, if you look at the transition the Milwaukee Bucks have made from last year to this year, when they changed their coach, the new coach, Budenhauser, who's definitely in the running for a coach of the year, he just completely changed how they play. And now he emphasizes a lot more on taking threes. I think the Bucks hold the record for the most three-pointers made in a game now. So in today's NBA, your success is almost directly tied into how well you shoot the three ball. So I think if they want to make progress, they've got to go out and get as many three and D players if they want to really move forward. So at the moment, the two things we've spoken about as to why the Phoenix Suns are just terrible. Really bad draft choices by the front office, mixed with a bit of being unlucky as well just having high picks in pretty weak drafts or drafts that didn't have the positions that they were looking for. And then just having no vets and having a team full of young guys who are always going to have like lots of peaks and valleys throughout the season. They're not going to be consistent. So if we look at the third and final reason, you can't talk about the Phoenix Suns without talking about how dysfunctional their front office is. If you're talking about bad front offices, I'd say I'd put them third behind the Knicks and the Cavs. Can you imagine the playoffs start, what, in about three weeks? And this team does not have a GM. Team just doesn't function very well. And if you want to know sort of like how bad it's gotten, you should check out a video by a woman named Greta Rogers, who was just like a fan, maybe like, I don't know, 70-year-old lady, who just roasts the owner of the team, Robert Sarver. And... You guys know Charles Barkley, who's like a Phoenix Suns legend. It's funny because he constantly roasts how bad the team is. Courtside seats at any basketball game is going to be ridiculously expensive. So he was roasting them about how if you go to a Phoenix Suns game, it's empty. You can like buy the highest seats, the cheapest ones, and just walk right down to center court. He's always saying how the hot dog buns are stale, the drinks are flat. So that just shows like if one of the legends of your team doesn't even respect your team, that just tells you everything you need to know. Like this guy is probably paid to come to like games and events and stuff like that. He's probably like a special guest, but he just roasts them constantly. So I mentioned the team owner whose name is Robert Sarver. He's just been an incompetent owner for like 14 years. From the times when they had good teams with Nash and Stoudemire where he just didn't want to put the right players around them to recently where I think he just doesn't want to give out contracts to like attract big players when you're a terrible team and you have like a good young core with Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton who aren't like amazing but then how you attract good players is that you just got to offer them stupid amounts of money you got to be throwing out max contracts obviously to people who deserve it but that should be sort of like the attractive quality at the end of the day these players these are their jobs so a lot of them are going to be in it for the money and let's keep it real, at the end of the day, a max contract is a max contract. 200 mil is 200 mil. And most players are going to look at that like, Oof, I know Phoenix is dead, but I got to do what's good for me. I got to secure the bag. So you are going to attract some really good players. But I just don't see him as the type of owner that is interested in giving out a lot of money. And when you think about it, 
a lot of like the big teams who attract big free agents the owners of those teams are like billionaires i mean like what's his name the guy the owner of the clippers steve ballmer he's worth tens of billions golden state's owner joe lacob he's a billionaire so the phoenix suns they are what you call like a small market team and the owner he's worth 400 million and obviously that's ridiculous amounts of money but i guess in comparison Maybe because he doesn't have as much spending power as some of the other big teams, he's not as keen on giving up big contracts. And when you think about it, I remember there was a story a few weeks ago about how he wanted to improve the arena to make like some changes or something. And this guy was actually looking to use public funds like taxes to get the money to improve the franchise and to make changes to the stadium. You're worth 400 mil. You own the stadium. Actually, he doesn't even own it. He rents it. And then you're looking for taxpayers' money to pay for the changes you want to make. So the team owner, I just don't think he's all in on like getting this team the things they need to actually contend. And like I said, they don't have a GM. The last GM they had, I can't remember his name, but he was terrible. I don't know if you heard the story about how they wanted to make a trade with the Memphis Grizzlies. And they've been working on this trade for weeks. There were two players with the last name Brooks. I can't remember their first names, but both of them were named Brooks. The Phoenix Suns wanted, obviously, the Brooks that was the better player. And they'd been working on this for weeks. They'd gotten a third team involved. So this was like three teams working just to make things, just to like move money around, move assets around, move players around. And the Phoenix Suns and the Memphis Grizzlies, they were going to make a trade for this guy whose name was Brooks, but there were two of them on the Grizzlies. And it wasn't until the last day that the Phoenix Suns found out that the Grizzlies were offering them the wrong Brooks. Like, that stuff is actually, like, just ridiculous. Imagine if they actually sent them the wrong Brooks. So, like, the Phoenix Suns are happy. They've made a trade. Everyone's excited. They're patting themselves on the back. And then this new player shows up to practice one day. And everybody's looking like... And it was literally up until the last day where they were finalizing contracts that they found out that they were getting the wrong Brooks. So, this team is just not functioning properly they don't have a gm the owner is incompetent and i don't think he's all in on this team so those are just three of the reasons why i think the phoenix suns are just struggling at the moment so it's just been terrible draft picks just a poor roster with no vets sort of to guide the young players and young players who are still developing and who are making strides so i'm happy about that then the last point is just like the incompetence of the front office I don't want to be so negative, but even if these young players continue to develop, I don't see how they can make strides as a team if the owner of the team isn't behind them. Like when it comes time to offer Devin Booker like a max or maybe even a super max contract where he's going to want like 200 million over four years, is Robert Sauver going to want to give him that? What happens when DeAndre Ayton wants to get a max contract? So I don't know if things can change unless they do change the front office. But at least at the moment, the young players are developing. They just got to do whatever they can to keep Devin Booker happy and make him not want to request a trade. A couple of seasons ago, he said he was done not making the playoffs. But Phoenix Suns, they aren't going to make the playoffs and they aren't going to make the playoffs for another, like, probably like another five years. So the only way to keep him happy is monetarily. So they just got to give him as much money as they can. It's really got to be like, he has a blank check, write whatever number you want on it just so you can stay. At the end of the day, I do think they are moving in the right direction in terms of accumulating talent. If they do draft Joe Morant this year, I think then that's pretty much the last 
piece of their big three, then they're ready to start making moves and like putting some vets around their team. So we've come to the end of this episode. It was pretty tough doing an episode on the Phoenix Suns, but I was just like, I wonder why these guys are actually so bad. So it took me quite a bit of time just to sort of gather my thoughts and put together everything I spoke about in this video. But like I said, again, I hope you guys really enjoyed it and I'm really looking forward to the next episode. It's going to be a lot more interesting. I'm going to be giving you my award selections for the year. So I'm going to be talking MVP, Sixth Man of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year. All right, guys, till next time. Later. New Nipsey Hustle, check me out. You in trouble, check me out. Pay us now, check me out. I'll pay me double, check me out. New Nipsey Hustle, check me out. New Nipsey Hustle, check me out. New Nipsey Hustle, check me out.